Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see you here this morning as we begin this new series that we've entitled Toxic Attitudes. I want you to turn with me this morning in your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 as we begin this series. I'm convinced that toxic attitudes are attitudes that, that poison us and can ultimately destroy us from the inside out. I am also convinced that our attitudes more than anything else in life determine our success. Our attitude is more important than our education. Our attitude is more important than our family of origin. Our attitude is more important than the opportunities that we are given. Our attitude can determine, like Zig Ziglar said, our altitude. If you want to be successful in life, if you want to make a difference in life, if you want to be all that you can be for God's glory, then you need to have a good attitude. But the truth is, most of us, and dare I say all of us, have some toxic attitudes. Now, as we get started this morning, I want us to deal with one of those toxic attitudes that, that I believe we've all wrestled with at one time or another in some way or another. The CEO of a, of a major corporation struggles with this attitude. World leaders struggle with this attitude. Skilled athletes, actors, actresses, Musicians, doctors, and even pastors struggle with this attitude. Young and old, men and women struggle with this attitude. Now, what attitude am I talking about? I'm talking about the attitude of insecurities. And our insecurities can sneak up on us in an instant. I hear what other people do, their jobs, their titles, and my insecurities begin to to bubble up inside of me. I see what other people have, where they live, what they are able to buy. And my insecurities begin to, to move to the surface. I see how other people look, how, how, how athletic they are, how strong they are, how pretty or how handsome they are, how tall or how thin or how muscular. And my insecurities begin to push through. Men go to the gym. Women watch a pageant. We look at a magazine and all of a sudden, our insecurities begin to burst forth. Men compare themselves to, to steroid-abusing steroid athletes. Women compare themselves to surgery-fixed airbrush models and movie stars. And, and all of a sudden, we're struggling with attitudes or insecurities. Uh, millions of dollars have been made... Because of our insecurities. If I don't have the right brand, then I'm not going to fit in. And, and all of a sudden, I feel insecure about who I am. We color our hair. We cap our teeth. We take the latest fad diet or the latest diet pill. We tuck our tummy. We lift our face. We have every other imaginable surgery that's out there. All because, well, our insecurities. Now, don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with coloring your hair, ladies and men. There's nothing wrong with capping your teeth. There's nothing wrong with certain surgeries as long as you are doing it for the right reasons. 
You see, the problem that most people have is they don't do those things because of their health. They do it because of their insecurities. And, and social media isn't helping. We post something on Facebook and we anxiously await to see how many people like our comment or like our picture. And we want to see whether someone comments on what we say. And if we post something that we feel like is profound, if we do a selfie picture that we think is really good and no one says anything, then all of a sudden we begin to feel insecure. We look at how many friends we have on Facebook, how many followers we have on Twitter, and, and then we find out that someone down the road has more friends, more followers, and all of a sudden, we're struggling with insecurities. Every Sunday, my insecurities begin to inch to the surface. As I look out, and I see how many people have come to worship this morning. How many people are there that want to hear what I have to say? How does our church compare to the other churches around our city, around our state, around our nation? And as I make these comparisons, all of a sudden, I begin to get insecure. This past week, I received Outreach Magazine. It's a magazine that that I receive every month, a, a Christian leader magazine. And, and this month's um, magazine was the top 100 churches in the nation. They do this every year. They have the 100 largest churches in the nation and the 100 fastest growing churches in the nation. And some of you are going, really? Well, yeah, there's a list like that. It's, it's the all-stars of churches. It's the who's who of, of churches. It's the A-list of churches. Now, to understand, there are hundreds of thousands of evangelical churches across America. But only 100 churches make this list. And so every year when I get this magazine, I begin to look through the magazine and see what churches are there at the top in size and what churches are there at the top in growth. And then all of a sudden, I begin to ask myself questions. Why can't God use me like that? What's wrong with me? Why can't I make a difference like that? You see, our insecurities make us feel inadequate. Our insecurities make us feel inferior. They tell us that, that we don't measure up. That there's something innately wrong with us. Now, let me just be honest with you if I can. I struggle with a variety of insecurities, and some of them have the potential to derail me. Others of them have, have the potential to keep me locked up in a prison of self-doubt. And my insecurities at times have been an excuse for either me not doing or even trying something that I really wanted to do. I didn't try it because I felt like if I was going to try it, I would fail. And the reason I felt that way is because of my insecurities. And here's what I know. If we want to reach the potential that God has created us for, 
We must deal with our insecurities. Let me say that again. If we're going to ever reach the potential that God created us to reach, we must sooner or later deal with our insecurities. You see, the Bible tells us that God has an incredible plan for us. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God has an incredible plan for you. Do that. Now turn to your second choice, the person on the other side, and tell them the same thing. Now here's what God says. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Understand, the Bible teaches that God's plan for you is far better than any plan that you could ever imagine, even in your wildest dreams. But if you're going to ever see that plan that God has become a reality in your life, then you have to deal with your insecurities. And so this morning, as we begin this series, we're going to take a look at Moses. Now, most of you have probably heard about Moses. He is one of the most revered men in the Word of God and in Christianity. But he is also one of the most revered men in both Judaism and Islam. Moses is a very revered man. Moses was born during that time that that Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And if you know the story, the, the Israelites, their population was expanding rapidly. And because of that, Pharaoh issued a decree, he gave an order that all of the male children that were born were to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. Moses was born during this time. But his mother and father did not want Moses to drown. They believed that that God had a plan for Moses. Like, Like I believe most parents believe that God has a plan for their children. And so they developed this plan where they built a a basket, if you will, that that was surrounded by tar so that it could float. And they put this basket with Moses in it in the reeds in the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter took a bath. And when she came out one day to take a bath, she saw that basket and she discovered Moses. And the Bible says that she felt sorry for him And she took him in as her own. He literally became the grandson of Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. And so here was Moses, an Israelite who was raised in an Egyptian palace. So time went by and Moses grew up an Israelite. Raised as an Egyptian, but he knew that he was an Israelite. And and one day he was out among his people, the Israelites, and he noticed how they were being treated and how they were being treated harshly. And he saw one Egyptian taskmaster, boss, beating this Israelite slave. And Moses' anger erupted, and when no one was looking, He killed that Egyptian, hid his body, covered it up. He thought everything was okay. But Moses' crime, his sin was discovered. 
And even though Moses was being raised as Pharaoh's grandson, Pharaoh said Moses has to be put to death. And so Moses fled Egypt with the clothes on his back and went to a land called Midian. While he was there, he met this um, this prophet, this shepherd, and, and met her da- her, his daughter, and he fell in love with her, and he got married, and they had kids, and he began working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. And that takes us to our passage where we're at this morning. Moses was out one day, tending his father-in-law's flock, when all of a sudden he saw something that was very strange. He saw this bush that was burning, but it was never consumed. It never burned up. He kept on burning. And as you can imagine, this piqued Moses' curiosity. So he went closer. And as he went closer, a voice, the Bible says God, spoke to him through the burning bush. And the voice, God, said, take off your shoes, Moses, for you're standing on holy ground. Can you imagine how Moses felt? Here he was, living in a wilderness as an outcast on the run because there was a price on his head. And here at this mount, he has this experience with the Almighty God. And then God proceeds to tell Moses what he wants Moses to do. God says, I've heard the cries of my people who were enslaved in Egypt. And I am going to set them free. And he said, and Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. Now, here's Moses. He's on the run. He's hiding out. And all of a sudden, God says, I want you to go back to the place where you were a wanted man. And I want you to tell that man that you're running from to let my people go. As you can imagine, all types of insecurity began to build up inside of Moses. And that's what I want us to focus on for the rest of our time together. And as we unpack these two chapters, I want us to learn two things. First of all, I want us to get a better understanding of our insecurities. I want us to get a better understanding of our insecurities, where they come from, what they are. Now, notice what Moses said in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, I love this other translation. It's the today's English version. Listen to what it says. But Moses said to God, I am am a nobody. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like a nobody? I have. I've felt that way. I've been in meetings before with people, and I felt like an absolute nobody. I have been on a sports field before, and I felt like an absolute Nobody. I could give you example after example of multiple times in my life where as I looked at the situation and I looked at myself, I felt like an absolute nobody. Now, what is insecurity? Let me give you a definition. 
Insecurity is a lack of confidence in my ability, my value, and my worth. Insecurity is a lack of confidence in my ability, my value, and my worth. Now, let me give you another definition, and this isn't on your note sheet. But insecurity is the result of the gap. And a gap is is a space. Insecurity is the, the difference between the gap of what I am or perceive that I am and what I want to be or perceive that I want to be. So insecurity is the gap between what I am or perceive that I am and, and what I want to be. Here I am over here. I've got failures. I've got flaws. I've got problems. And, and, and I want to do this. And, and what I want to do is way over here. It's out of reach, it seems. And insecurity is the result of the gap between where I am or I perceive that I am and where I want to be in my life. You see, the problem is, is that that gap makes me feel like a nobody. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not spiritual enough. But understand, hear my heart. At the end of the day, my insecurities are the result not of what other people think about me. My insecurities are the result of what I think about myself. You see, insecurity doesn't come because of what someone else thinks. In the end, insecurity is the result of what I think. Insecurity comes when my enemy, and my enemy is Satan, When my enemy attacks my inner me, who I am. When the enemy attacks my inner me, my self-worth, my value, my ability to do things, then all of a sudden I become insecure. Now, there are a number of reasons, there are a number of causes that we become insecure, but I want to give you three. The first one is unfair criticism. We we become insecure because of unfair criticism. Someone said something years ago. It could have been a friend, a parent, a teacher. It could have been a random jerk. But someone said something about you, and over time you believed that it was true. They could have said, you're fat. You're ugly. You're dumb. And all of a sudden... We don't believe that we measure up. We don't believe that we have what it takes. Someone said something about our ears. Our ears are too big or too small. And from that point on, we're self-conscious about our ears. We give a speech in school, in elementary school, and, and someone laughs at us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves retreating into our shell, never wanting to talk out in public again. Unfair criticism. The second reason that we struggle with insecurity is because of unrealistic compliments. And let me unpack this one for you because this happens as well. We hear these kind of things growing up. You're the best. You're amazing. You can do anything. 
We go out on the field, and our, our dad tells us, you're the best athlete in the world. We step into the classroom, and, and our mom tells us, you're smarter than every other kid there. And we think that's good. But as we grow up, we realize it's not true. We go out on the football field thinking we're the best athlete out there. And we're four foot eight, 98 pounds. And we run into someone that's five foot 10, 180 pounds. And all of a sudden, we're bruised and bleeding, banged up and crying. And we go, my dad lied to me. We're in our class, and we're convinced we're the smartest person in there. But then we get into that subject that isn't our sweet spot, and we take that test, and we get the test back, and we look over to our right, we look over to our left, we look in front of us, and our grade is well below their grades. And all of a sudden, we think, my mom lied to me. I'm not the smartest. And before long, we begin to wonder, I wonder what else they told me that isn't true. I believe, and hear me, we're not going to argue this point, but I believe we are doing a disservice to our children today. It used to be that if you got a trophy, you had to win. Seems fair to me. Now, all you have to do to get a trophy is pay your fee. And you're guaranteed a trophy. You don't have to even try. You don't have to do your best. You'll get a trophy. It used to be, when I was a kid, you had to go through 12 grades to graduate. Now you graduate from kindergarten. I don't get it. No, maybe, maybe, I've got to be honest, maybe I'm insecure because I didn't go to kindergarten. But I think that we're doing our kids a disservice because of these unrealistic compliments that we're giving our kids. We need to encourage them. But we also need to be honest with them. That's why Solomon said, train up a child in the way they should go. Let me just say to you, if, if your son is four foot 11 and weighs 120 pounds and he runs a 40-yard dash in six seconds, he's not going to play professional football. He's just not going to. And you can tell him all you want to that he can. He's not. God didn't make him for that. God made him for something else. You need to find out what God made them for and help them thrive in that area. So unrealistic compliments. And then finally, unwise comparisons. When we compare ourselves to other people, I'm not as attractive as them. I'm not as bright as them. I'm not as strong as them. I'm not as gifted as them. Gosh, I mean, today, I even get that when I go to the gym with my 18-year-old. I mean, it used to be, and understand, I was never 
this incredibly strong person. I was, you know, I was that person that, you know, you kicked sand in their face at the beach. But, you know, when I played ball, I got to the point where with a lot of cheating, a lot of cheating, I could bench 300 pounds. When I say a lot of cheating, what I mean by that is that isn't, you know, you take the bar off, you take it down like this and let it sit there for a second and then you do it back up. No, 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 no. Now, I could do 300 pounds when I was in college, but, but I would take a towel and I'd fold that towel over on my chest. And I'd take another towel and I'd fold that towel over on my chest. And then I'd have somebody help me take the, the bar off with the weight off with 300 pounds and I'd take that weight, boom, and I'd bounce that thing, you know, where all I had to do was lift it about two inches. And I'd bench 300 pounds. That was something. And now I go to the gym with my 18-year-old son, who, I mean, weighs 40 pounds less than me. His weight is better distributed than mine, mind you. But I go to the gym with him, and, and I go, golly, I'm a wimp. I am a wimp. And then I look over at some of these guys who have, I mean, biceps that, I mean, look like tree trunks. And, you know, I've told people before, I mean, hear me. If I had biceps like that, I'd probably get me a tattoo on it. I'm just honest. I mean, if I had biceps like that, I'd want to point attention to them. And, and And when I preached, I would always wear short sleeve shirts. And I would work it. I would work it where in my preaching, I would occasionally have to do this kind of thing. I would want you to see it. But that's not where I'm at. And see, that's where our insecurities come from. We have these unwise comparisons. Have you ever been behind one of those cars where, you know, they have the bumper sticker, my kid's an honor student at? I hate those people. (laughs) I hate them. If you're in here, I hate you. Forgive me, but I hate you. I see those people and I go, what's wrong? I'm a terrible parent. They never even let me buy one of those. I'm an awful parent. And my insecurities begin to build up within me. Now, here's the problem, the unwise comparisons. You see, what we do is we allow other people's highlight reel to be compared to our behind-the-scenes. You see, you know everything about you, don't you? You know the good and the bad, don't you? But all we see in other people is the behind the scenes. I mean, we come to church and, I mean, we're, we, we, we feel like, you know, if our marriage is going to make it through Sunday morning, it's incredible. If our kids make it to Sunday school without a broken bone, me breaking it, it's going to be amazing. And, and, and we see another family, and they're all dressed perfectly. You know, ours don't have matching shoes. And, and they're all dressed perfectly, and they're smiling. And, and we sit back and go, you know, we're about to kill each other. And they look so <laughs> partridge family. I mean, what's, what's going on here? See, these unwise comparisons. Now, now Moses' insecurity was the result of three 
misinterpretations or misperceptions. Let me give them to you. First of all, he said, I'm not spiritual enough. Verse 13. This is what Moses said. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say? In other words, what Moses is saying is, God, I don't even know your name. How can you use me to tell your people about you? There are some of you here this morning who are struggling with that right now. I mean, you're saying that God can never use you because you're not spiritual enough. You hear someone else's testimony and you go, man, boy, if I had a testimony like that, would I make a difference in the world? You're sitting down and when I told you to turn to Exodus 3, someone just did this and they were in Exodus 3. And you're going, Exodus, New Testament, Old Testament. Hmm, let me look in the index. And you're going, I don't know the Bible like other people know the Bible. They can't use me. You hear someone pray, and as they're praying, it's as if the harps in heaven are playing angelic music. And you're asked to pray at a meal, and you're going, I don't have a clue what to say. I don't have a clue what to pray. And and finally you go, rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub, God bless this grub. And and that's it. And, And all of a sudden you're struggling with these insecurities that I'm just not spiritual enough. But you need to understand that the church is filled with people that God is called to do great things that aren't accomplishing those great things because they're spiritually insecure. So he didn't feel like he was spiritual enough. Next, Moses said, I'm not believable enough. My credibility isn't good. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Moses said, God, they won't believe me if I go. I don't have credibility with him. Now, there are a lot of reasons that we at times feel like that we're not believable. Now, for Moses, I believe it was because of his past. He was a murderer. He had tried to help his people by killing an Egyptian, and it ended in utter failure. He had to escape town with just the clothes on his back. And Moses was saying, if I go to them, they know my past. They know who I was. They saw my failures. They'll remember what I did, how I failed. They won't believe me. There are some of you here today who your past failures are keeping you from experiencing future victories. Well, I really struggled with this when God called me. And I responded to that call because I was raised in a Christian home, with a pastor's home, with a godly mother and father. I had the absolute best biblical training. Our church was incredible on training us in the Bible. At an early age, I had a life-changing experience with Christ. I mean, I just didn't walk an aisle. I didn't just pray a prayer. My life was changed with Jesus. I wanted to pray. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted people to come to know Jesus. I didn't want to say bad words. I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to honor him and bring glory to his name. But, But as a teenager, I turned so far from God that it's absolutely embarrassing. It really is. I I did things that I'm embarrassed of today. I I wish I would have never done. And and at 18, at 2 o'clock in the morning when I fell on my face before God and said, God, whatever you want me to do, I want to do. And, And God made it clear he wanted me to preach. For the longest time, I felt so inadequate, so insecure. 
You see, I would have rather been a murderer and not known Jesus and got saved than to have been saved, experienced his love, and yet turned from it. But that was my story. That's an awful story. I mean, to know God loves us, to know he cares for us, to experience his love firsthand, and then yet get sucked into the world? I mean, I, I'm a failure. And so I struggled with this. How is somebody going to believe me when I tell them that the grace of God can change your life? Because obviously, when I look at my life, it didn't seem like my life was changed. So I'm not believable enough. And then, and then my, finally Moses said, I'm not capable enough. In chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. And then he said this, I am slow of speech and tongue. In other words, what Moses is saying is, you're calling me to go to Pharaoh, the, the most powerful man in the world, and tell him to let God's people go, but I've never been eloquent in the first place. You need someone who is pretty eloquent, someone who can speak, someone who, who's really good at that. And, and on top of not being eloquent, Lord, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm broken. I'm flawed. Now, and here's what you need to understand. We're going to unpack this a little bit more, but you need to understand this. The fact of the matter is we are all broken. We are all flawed. And our flaws, our imperfections, our disabilities, for some of us, they're easily seen. For others of us, they're below the surface and people can't see them, but they're still there. But here's what you need to understand. We've all got them. Because what we do is we, we look at people who are making a difference. We look at the people that make us insecure and we say, boy, if I was like them. And what you don't know, what you don't know is that many of those people are looking at someone else and they're saying, boy, if I was like them. We look at a, we look at a movie star and I'm not going to list all of the names, but we look at these pictures of them and we go, wow, they're beautiful. Do you know so many of them feel ugly? You say, how do you know that? Because they have plastic surgery after plastic surgery after plastic surgery. We sit back and we look at someone else and we want to be like them when in reality they're inside struggling with insecurities as well. They look in the mirror and they don't like what they see. You see, we all are flawed, broken people. Now, for Moses, it was a speech impediment. We don't know what it was. We don't know what kind of speech impediment it was. We just simply know that he was slow of speech. Every time he opened his mouth, it reminded him of his flaw and his insecurities came to the surface. Did you hear about that, that 16-year-old kid from Lexington, Carlos Guevara? You hear about him? How he wowed the judges on X Factor? Well, he struggles with Tourette's syndrome. I mean, and Tourette's syndrome just, you know, gets over you and, I mean, causes all kind of problems. And, and, and to think that here's this guy, he's going to perform for Simon Cowell. <laughs> I mean, you know, he'll make anybody insecure, amen? And he's going to perform in front of him. He better be good. And he got up there. If you haven't had a chance to watch his video of him singing, you need to. Kid's got an incredible voice. But the point is, here he is flawed. 
He's broken, but he didn't use his brokenness, he didn't use his flaws as an excuse for not doing. And that's what we do. We look at our inability and we say, God, I can't. And so here's Moses, asked by God to do something incredibly big, but, but Moses is overcome with insecurity. And until finally, in a last-ditch effort, Moses said in Exodus 4, verse 13, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do this. He finally cries out to God, God, I've thrown up everything I know to throw up. I am so afraid. My palms are, sweat, um, are, are clammy. I, my, I'm sweating under my armpits so much that it, my entire shirt is soaked. I'm I'm stammering and stuttering, just thinking about what you're asking me to do, God. Send someone else. And here's Moses. And he's about to miss out on the most incredible opportunity of his life because of his insecurities. Who am I? I'm a nobody. I, I don't know you, God. They won't believe me, God. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I, 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 I can't hardly get words out. God, please send someone else. Now, God is a patient God, amen? But even God gets impatient with us at times. Notice what it says in verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Did you get that? Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God said, I'm tired of this, Moses. Quit making excuses based upon your insecurities. Hear me. God was saying, it's not about you. So let's move on. Second thing I want you to see here is this. How do we conquer our insecurities? And if we're going to conquer our insecurities, we need to first of all understand that our focus needs to turn from us to God. If we're going to conquer our insecurities, we've got to move our eyes off of us and who we see in the mirror and focus on God who is on the throne in heaven. And as we focus on God and understand three things about God and about us, I believe that it will help us. The first thing is this. We've got to understand that God made us. Moses said, God, I I can't speak. I've got problems. I I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. And notice what God said in verse 11. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now this is a hard truth for us to hear. But you need to hear it. God made us just like we are. Let me say it again. It's the hard truth. Some of us don't like to hear it. But God made us just like we are. All of our flaws, all of our imperfections, all of our blemishes, all of our disabilities, God gave them to us. I mean, in reality, we've got to believe that 
if we believe that God's sovereign. We've got to believe that ultimately God could have changed things. God, God could have touched us in our mother's womb and made us different. He, he could have made us where we had that strong gene instead of that weak gene, that thin gene instead of that fat gene. He could have made us where we had a 180 IQ instead of a 80 IQ. He, he could have done that, couldn't he? He could have made us without any disabilities, but he didn't. He allowed us to be created just the way we are. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. God said, I formed you. I made you. And I don't make junk. In Psalm 139, David, lifting up a praise to God, says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Did you get that? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. In Ephesians 2.10, in one translation it says, We are God's work of art. Another one says we are God's masterpiece. Every time I I look in the mirror and I see my flaws, and, and understand, I do, just like you do. I mean, I, I look at myself and I say, I wish I was. And I see those things. God reminds me of what he said in Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I formed you. I made you. And I can look at myself and I can say, I am just like God wanted me. I am his masterpiece. I am his work of art. And understand you are. It doesn't matter what someone else says. It matters what your creator says. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are God's masterpiece. I want you to turn to that other person beside you and say, you are God's work of art. Then either you're going to believe God or you're going to believe your false perception about yourself. Amen? So God made me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The second thing I need to see is that God is with me. In Exodus 3, verse 12, this is what God said to the, to the insecurity that, riled, that, that came up in, in Moses. He said, I will be with you. I'm going to be with you, Moses. You're not going to be by yourself. You're not going to be on your own. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Isn't it, isn't it comforting to know that God is going to be with us in every single situation? He's going to always be by our side. I, I mean, me knowing that gives me great comfort. In my weakest hour, He's going to be there. In, in my most frightening moment, He's going to be by my side. When I am in the deepest pit, He's going to be in that pit with me. God says, I made you, and I don't make junk. 
God said, I'm going to be with you, walking with you every step of the way. I'm going to be that big brother that is going to watch out for you. And then God says one other thing. He says, I will empower you. God will empower me. In Exodus 4, verses 2 and 3, the Lord said this. What is that in your hand? He said to Moses. Moses said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Now, can I get a witness, amen? I tell you what, I throw a stick on the ground, it turns into a snake. I don't care if God told me to do it or not. I'm hauling tail. I'm running. I'm getting out of there as fast as I can. About six weeks ago, I was up early. I was, it was half dark, and, and um, I was going to get the paper. And, um, and as I was walking outside, I was barefooted, and, and I wasn't paying attention. And I walked, and I looked, and, and all of a sudden, I looked under my foot. Was this snake? It, it was about that big. I mean, it's a big snake. I mean, seriously. It was about the size of a big worm, but it was a snake. And this snake, you know, when he, when he saw me, you know how snakes do. They, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going uh, to run off as quick as they can, or they're not going to run. They're going to crawl off as quick as they can. Or, or sometimes, you know, they're going to get that head up and kind of, I'm, I'm a bad guy. Don't mess with me. And that's what he did. He did that little head up. Open that little mouth, and, and here I am, you know, not paying attention. My paper's over there, and I'm like this. I see this thing. I, I mean, I run back up the steps to the porch because of this big snake. Scared. I'm scared. I would have done that if I was Moses. But here's the thing this is so crazy. Moses is sitting there saying, they won't believe me. God says, what do you have? I've got a staff. Throw your staff down. It turns into a snake. And there are several other miracles there. What is God saying? God is saying, I'll take what you've got and use it to accomplish my, my task. To bring glory to my name. You sit back and you look at your flaws. You... Look at your lack of credibility. You look at your lack of spirituality. You look at all the things you aren't. And God says, it doesn't matter. I created you. I don't make junk. And I can use what you've got to accomplish something that's absolutely incredible. If you'll just trust me and follow me. Look at this last verse there on your, on your note sheet. I love this verse. It's, it's Paul. He's, he's, you know. This that passage where it's talking about the thorn in the flesh. You know the passage. But in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Different people say different things. We just don't know. Some people say it was an eye problem. Some people say that Paul was disfigured, a real, real ugly man. We don't know what his problem was, but we do know that it was burdening Paul. I mean, every time he got up, he was reminded of his weakness, wasn't he? And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed that God would deliver him from the weakness and it didn't happen. And what did God say? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, my power will be revealed and made perfect. You see, our insecurities come when we focus on us rather than focusing on the one who made us.
And when we come to that point where we understand that he created us just like we are. And we don't need to be this pastor or that pastor or this doctor or that doctor or this athlete or that athlete. We need to be the best that God created us to be. God made us. God is going to be with us. And God's going to empower us for what he wants us to do. When we come to that point where we really do believe those truths. It, it doesn't mean that our insecurities won't raise their ugly heads. Because they will. But when we come to really believe that. We're at that point where we can go, wait a second. Time out. I'm believing a lie. And I'm not going to believe the lie anymore. Now, there's one final thing that causes insecurity. We, we talked about um, unwise comparisons, um, compliments, criticisms. But there's a, a, third, a final thing I want you to see as we wrap this up. And, and I think sometimes our insecurities come because of unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. You say, how so? Well, the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. And, and there, there are some here that are struggling with, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. And can I say to you, that's probably the greatest insecurity in the world. <laughs> I mean, I would rather look in the mirror as I do and feel insecure about what I see than look into the future and feel insecure about where I'm going to be. And there are some of you who, you look into the future and you just don't know. And, and the reason is because our sins separate us from God. And there are some of you that you've never confessed and repented of your sin. You've never admitted to God, I am an unworthy sinner. And apart from your grace in my life, I deserve hell. And you repent, you turn from your sin... Trust Jesus' work on the cross to save you. He saves you and he gives us a security because we're in fellowship with him. But there's others of you, hear me. There's others of you who have no security in your salvation right now and you're insecure because of sin. And it's not because you've never been saved. It's because you've got sin in your life right now. I want you to hear me. I want you to look at me because we're wrapping this up. We've gone a little over. So hear me. There are some of you here today who say, I'm a Christian. And you're living in deliberate sin against God. I mean, you're living with a man or you're living with a woman. You're having an affair. You're getting drunk. You know, whatever it may be, you know, your, your sin of choice but, I mean, you're sinning willfully against God and you're going, I don't care. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Can I tell you? You're deceived. Look at me. If you're living in sin and you're saying it doesn't matter because I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, you're deceived. You're not saved. You're lost. A Christian will never use God's grace as an excuse for sin. If you're saved and you've got sin in your life right now, I can tell you exactly how you feel. You feel the same way I felt for three years of my life. 
you feel like you're going to hell. You feel like you're lost. You're wondering, how could God ever let me into heaven the way that I'm living? Because God's grace has been poured out on your life. You have experienced the forgiveness of your sin. His mercy has come over you. His spirit is living in you. And for you to sit back and think that you can live in sin without guilt and shame and remorse and feeling like you are going to hell as a believer is ludicrous. If you're really saved and you're living in sin, you are miserable right now. You feel so insecure in your relationship with God. And until, and until you repent of your sin, you are in dangerous ground. And you need to repent. And you need to turn to God. And bear fruit that gives evidence of repentance. And so this morning, some of you are insecure because you've never given your heart and life to Jesus. There are some of you who are insecure in your relationship with God because there's sin in your life. And and you need to deal with it. But more than any other insecurity, we need to deal with this one. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. With your head bowed with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, and this morning His Spirit has convicted you of your sin, I want you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I've rebelled against you. I'm so sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm turning from my sin. I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting your death on the cross to save me. I believe that your resurrection gives evidence that you will change me. Please, God, come into my heart. Come into my life. Save me. Change me, I pray. Amen. Now, there are some of you here who are living in sin as a believer, and you're miserable. And you need to stop it. You need to cut it out. You need to confess it in turn. And here's the prayer you need to pray. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I remember when your grace became real to me. But I got caught up in sin. I'm so sorry. I don't want to be controlled by sin anymore. I'm turning from it. I'm stopping right now. Through your grace, through your power, I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Amen.